The following discussion is titled "Making Wisconsin Government Work in the 21st Century," sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. Does Wisconsin need a constitutional convention? Are there specific changes needed to address redistricting for elections or for the elections of judges? Are there redundancies in services by local, county, and state governments? How do we encourage informed participation in our government? We've invited two guests to address these questions. First is Edward Huck, former executive director of the Wisconsin Alliance of Cities, and Helene Nelson, former secretary of the Wisconsin Department of Health and Family Services. This talk was part of the League's Issues Forum held on April 1, 2015, in Madison. You can download handouts from the talk at our website at lwvdanecounty.org. First, we hear from Ed Huck, who proposes that Wisconsin needs a state constitutional convention. I really appreciate this invitation.、Uh, first of all, because this organization is an independent voice for democracy, and、uh, myself living in a world of partisan politics for over 25 years, it's nice to come before a body that thinks about public policy exclusively. So I really appreciate that the audience that I have today. I should let you know that I don't support a national convention. I was advised I should probably tell you folks that it's quite different thing.、Uh, there is a call currently going across the country, asking for a constitute national constitutional convention. But those folks that are asking for it are a little bit suspect. In in my opinion, I don't、uh, support becoming a Christian nation. I don't support English only as a language. I don't. Uh, believe defining life in the Constitution is a proper place for it, and I don't、uh, believe that a balanced budget amendment for the U.S. Constitution is a good thing. But a state constitution is considerably different, and I want to just point out that as I stand here today, I have no political gain. I'm not running for any office. I am not representing any organization. I am. Unaware of any organization or any partisan politician that is currently calling for a constitutional convention for Wisconsin, so why a convention? Well, government claims over and over that it's not like business; that it doesn't have a profit motive; it doesn't sell a commodity, but it is like a business that is selling services in the sense that. Those services must satisfy the customer. They must be efficient, and they must be、uh, cost-effective. What every business knows today is that you cannot change the outcome without changing the process. If something isn't working in terms of services to the people, then the process is somehow flawed. So my first premise for a convention is that local government. In the state of Wisconsin, is a bit redundant. It is definitely underfunded, and that state government has become so partisan that it can no longer provide the public services and the funding to the local level that will satisfy、uh, the people of Wisconsin. I just read a quote yesterday in the, the quip to quote in the paper. It said that people、uh, who can afford government. Don't need it, and people who can't afford it、uh, just don't get enough of it. And so you have this imbalance 
between those who have and those who have not because the services provided for government, for, from government are generally speaking uh, for um, folks that couldn't do without them. So why not, uh, why not uh, uh, a, uh, a commission? Why not just put together a commission? I think that's the position of the, the Dane County League. Well, first of all, uh, unless you change Article 12 of the state constitution, that commission would be advisory. So whatever that is advised would still go to the legislature. The legislature um, really does have the responsibility for calling the question, and I don't believe they should advocate that to an appointed commission as an example. You know, when John F. Kennedy uh, decided to go to the moon, and most of you remember that, he didn't know how to do it. He didn't know anybody who knew how to do it. Uh, but they brought folks together into Houston, and they came up with a solution, and he put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. A convention provides the possibilities of doing some very significant things for Wisconsin. The convention, currently, the, the responsibility for calling the convention is with the state legislature. And uh, according to Professor uh, Alan Tarr at Rutgers University, there's a, a Department of um, State Constitutional Law at Rutgers, uh, now in the Big Ten School. Uh, and, and Alan Tarr says that the question can be called narrowly or it can be called um, expansively. And many believe that uh, if a convention were called, that the convention could ignore the question and, and do what they wanted to do uh, at that convention. According to uh, Professor Tarr, that's not the case because the power of the convention comes from the body politic. If the body politic does not vote in the affirmative for the calling of the question, it doesn't happen. So first and foremost, the public must agree to the convention. I'm not one who supports a narrow call. Um, I think it's imperative that we address a variety of issues. Uh, this organization uh, could be a powerful voice for change because you don't have an agenda either other than voting rights of the citizen. What could be more pure as a background for a voice uh, for a constitutional convention? Um, there is also questions that have to be answered before a convention can be called. Uh, for instance, how much would the convention cost? The legislature needs to know an approximation. How many should representatives should be chosen? How many representatives should be uh, appointed? Or should there be uh, just one or the other? Um, should they be nonpartisan? Or should they be partisan? These are questions that a commission could come up and ask questions about the very question about what parts of the Constitution might be taken up or should be a general call. My next premise is that structured correctly, a constitutional convention is likely to attract those who are scholarly in government and nonpartisan civic leaders. And this has been proved out in every state constitutional convention of the 20th century. There hasn't been any, any uh, in recent years, I believe the last convention uh, was probably in the 1980s. <clears throat> the next uh, 
the, the thing that about constitutions, especially state constitutions, is that they deal with public policy. Unlike the federal uh, constitution, which lays out the uh, divisions of power, and the, of course, the amendments to the constitutions, 31 of the 33 deal with human rights uh, and human dignity. Uh, state constitutions are supposed to deal with public policy, and in sometimes great detail. Professor Tarr, when he came to Wisconsin to speak, he pointed out that in modern constitutions, public policy is laid out quite explicitly in those constitutions. So my next premise is that there are certain public policy issues that should be not left be to, should not be left to politics. And, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about those types of changes that might be necessary for Wisconsin. Currently, there is uh, a lot of discussion about gerrymandering districts every 10 years and redrawing of political lines. Now, this is no small matter. This, in fact, is the reason we have a crisis at our national level, especially in the House of Representatives. We have districts that are so homogenous as to not be able to think beyond a certain box. And, and uh, some politicians are afraid they'll be attacked from the left. Some are afraid they'll be attacked from the right, although I don't know how far right certain politicians can go, but it seems they can go pretty far right. So this is all due to gerrymandering. gerrymandering. It is those safe seats that are established to maintain power um, that is the root of a lot of problems in the United States as well as in Wisconsin. So there's been this call for an independent uh, initiative, an independent body to do that type of a thing. But there is really no guarantee um, that those districts will be drawn any better than they currently are being drawn. The, the criteria in the Constitution is population uh, divided by how many assembly people we have. I think we actually have a better way of doing it for Wisconsin, and that would be permanent districts. Permanent districts could be possible. First of all, uh, in the state's constitution, it says that our assembly should be no less than 54 and no more than 100, and we have 99. In the Senate, no more than less than a fourth, no more than a third, and of course we have 33. But let's just say that was a reduced amount. Let's say that we had one representative for every county and multiple representatives in counties with large, uh, larger populations. What happens then is the representative is contiguous with local government, something that it currently is not. In fact, um, in the Senate, there are the senators' districts are divided between uh, rural and urban and uh, sometimes many counties. This could be done with changes in uh, how many counties we have. We should redraw our counties, and we should consider a unicameral legislature. Now, I'm not the first person to call for a unicameral legislature. Thomas Fairchild, who was attorney general in 1950, uh, called for a constitutional convention. He called for a unicameral legislature. He called for independent redistricting and he called for initiative referendum. 
Now, I'm not a big fan of initiative referendum, but when Illinois had its state constitutional convention, it held the power for one um, referendum, and that is to redefine the powers of the state legislature. So that convention took control of their state legislature. A unicameral legislature combined with representation per county creates a scenario where the individuals are nonpartisan, the representatives are nonpartisan, and requires that compromises are made in the one body in order to pass legislation. It is exactly the opposite of what we have right now. What we have right now is a few in leadership dictating to the majority party what they will or what they won't support based on campaign contributions given on a regular basis. And that's the way it's been done all of the 25 years that I represented the Wisconsin Alliance of Cities. Through Democrats, through Republican governors, it didn't matter. It hasn't changed. So I believe that if we combine redrawing county lines, and why would we want to redraw county lines? Over 75 cities and villages in the state are in more than one county. The city of Appleton's in three counties. That's one issue. Another issue is rural and urban. It would be better to have urban counties and rural counties than the split that occurs, uh, like Dane County as an example, between very rural and very urban. So redrawing certain lines, we could reduce the amount of counties, which means we reduce government. It means that we could reduce the size of the legislature. It means that we could go to a nonpartisan legislature, which is far better, in my opinion, than what we have. My next premise is that the piecemeal approach to reforming Wisconsin government isn't going to work. It needs to be comprehensive and well-debated. We don't have a local government charter in Wisconsin. Modern con uh, constitutions have local government charters that lay out responsibilities of the local government, how they are funded. That is not the case in Wisconsin. Wisconsin's local government uh, powers are scattered throughout the Constitution in a variety of ways, in a variety of areas. Because we don't lay out the responsibilities, we have redundancy and overlapping of services in quite a few areas, and that is expensive. So the local government charter is something that needs to be drawn. Supreme Court elections, well, here we are. We got one coming next Tuesday. And uh, what's happening? Charges of partisan politics in the Supreme Court race. And lo and behold, there's partisan politics in the Supreme Court race. Amazing. So there's been a call for a merit system. And the merit system is a good one. A independent group of generally uh, lawyers or judges or retired judges comes up with qualified names they present them to the governor. The governor chooses the name, goes to the Senate in the, in currently um, for, um, to be approved. Um, they hold office for a, a, a while. Then there's a retention election, a, um, a vote of, of confirmation whether they're doing a good job or not. And if they're voted out, then the merit system kicks in again. Spending limitations. Now, 
There are a few of you folks that probably heard of the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. It was drafted by then-Senator Grothman. It was a horrible piece of legislation. It would have been a disaster for Wisconsin. My organization opposed it um, vehemently. Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that over the last four governors, we have had to borrow a lot of money. Um, starting with Governor Thompson, who started borrowing money for roads, then Governor Doyle was stuck in a bad situation, borrowed from the trans Wisconsin. Modern con uh, constitutions have local government charters that lay out responsibilities of the local government, how they are funded. That is not the case in Wisconsin. Wisconsin's local government uh, powers are scattered throughout the Constitution in a variety of ways, in a variety of areas. Because we don't lay out the responsibilities, we have redundancy and overlapping of services in quite a few areas, and that is expensive. So the local government charter is something that needs to be drawn. Supreme Court elections, well, here we are. We got one coming next Tuesday. And uh, what's happening? Charges of partisan politics in the Supreme Court race. And lo and behold, there's partisan politics in the Supreme Court race. Amazing. So there's been a call for a merit system. And the merit system is a good one. A independent group of generally uh, lawyers or judges or retired judges comes up with qualified names they present them to the governor. The governor chooses the name, goes to the Senate in the, in currently um, for, um, to be approved. Um, they hold office for a, a, a while. Then there's a retention election, a, um, a vote of, of confirmation whether they're doing a good job or not. And if they're voted out, then the merit system kicks in again. Spending limitations. Now, there are a few of you folks that probably heard of the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. It was drafted by then-Senator Grothman. It was a horrible piece of legislation. It would have been a disaster for Wisconsin. My organization opposed it um, vehemently. Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that over the last four governors, we have had to borrow a lot of money. Um, starting with Governor Thompson, who started borrowing money for roads, then Governor Doyle was stuck in a bad situation, borrowed from the transportation fund in order to get us through without uh, tax hikes. Now we're back into another situation and we're borrowing like crazy again. And we are now in the lowest tier of um, bond ratings for Wisconsin. So what I'm suggesting is something very simple, and that is you can't spend more than 98% of estimated revenues in a, in a period. What would happen then is we could build our reserve fund, which a rainy day fund, usually called. We could build that up and we could stabilize our finances. And hopefully, two minutes, okay. I'm gonna go really quickly to the sheriff's powers. <laughs> sheriff's powers are also constitutional and we have redundancy in the sense that urban payers, uh, urban property tax payers pay for sheriff's departments, get very little services. Constitutional and county offices, you either give them some responsibility or get rid of them. I want to talk about two environmental issues very quickly. The first one is water. 
The public trust doctrine, which is case law, um, should be codified in the Constitution and expanded to all waters instead of just navigable waters. And the second thing is we need a permanent funding to clean up our waters, and we can do that with um, the property tax like the forestry tax uh, forestry tax is part of the uh, uh, part of our constitution so in conclusion in conclusion I'd like to say that until we let go of trying to control how we shape the government and allow a process of creativity that has been laid out the power to take back our government has been given to us in our Constitution. We need to advocate for it, and we need to lobby for it, so that legislators running for office in the future understand what is at stake and understand that the public wants their government back. Thank you. Our next speaker is Helene Nelson former secretary of the Wisconsin Department of Health and Family Services. So I joined the League um, a few years back because I was so impressed with your mission, the basic idea of in encouraging informed participation in our government, and because I thought what you were doing to protect the vote was really important. Um, I also want to thank Ed for all his work for municipalities and government over the years and for coming up with a very provocative concern for how we can have a better government in the future. So to begin with, I think people who have worked in state and county and local government would agree that our government systems and operations could work better and should work better to serve the people of the state. And so the question really is, is a constitutional amendment or a convention or some set of constitutional strategies what we should pursue to get that done? Um, and all I know about what Ed was going to say is his his article in the newspaper, so I'm kind of responding to that. Um, the opening of his article said there are two reasons to think about this. The first was that the structure was outdated and had cost taxpayers billions. And the second was that the legislature's focus on policy and not, uh, politics and not policy um, left us no choice but to take action ourselves. Um, and then he came up with a kind of long list of things in the Constitution that could be changed. Um, so I'm going to comment on all of that a little bit and in the midst of it throw in my own two cents about what I think really matters and some other things we could think about. Um, so first, yes, our structure was invented a long time ago when things were different. Um, but you can't necessarily assume it means that needs a big overhaul. It could just need a tune-up. Um, I would say that our system is complex, that there are some redundancies among levels of government. There are some inefficiencies, perhaps, by, that could be resolved by combining things, either having one level of government do it or another, or a larger region. Um, and theoretically, I think there are opportunities to look at the intergovernmental system and get some efficiency. Um, I would say, just from having run budgets for a lot of these things for a while, that it would be a lot harder to get big money out of that than you think. Um, I do not think that there are billions of wasted dollars. I do not think that um, the fundamental place you spend money, which is on services, there's a lot of duplication of actual services. Um, and it's a lot harder to weed out than you think because um, people are attached to their local governments. 
People are attached to the accessibility of local governments. Um, and there also are a lot of complexities about how those systems are put together. So it would be quite a task to try and untangle all that and find the savings. Um, but to be a little more blunt, I think even if there are savings there of some scale, I don't know that a constitutional convention would actually reap them. Um, the first question, and this is one to people in the league and elsewhere who've looked at participation in government, um, are enough people really interested in the fine print of civics and structure of government to show up at a convention and to figure out these problems in a way that solves the inefficiencies and redundancies and protects the services? Um, would those who are very motivated to come be those who are quite attached to local structures, local authorities, and the way things are done now? Um, or people who think like business efficiency experts. Um, as I've looked at what's happened across the state with referendum on combining small communities, combining jurisdictions between communities, you know, the fire department serving three communities kind of model, um, or other sort of mergers, um, they fail uh, pretty often, and they often involve long, drawn-out processes of a lot of arguments, and some mergers end up costing more than they started out with because they raise salaries to the higher level of the two merger entities because people don't want to give away the services. So this business of finding the efficiencies is tough. Um, and I would say, actually, the basics of democracy are a little inefficient by design. You know, the balance of powers and the two houses and the Congress and the legislature and all that local government having some power of its own and state government. It wasn't designed to be efficient. Um, and so maybe we just need to think a little bit about how important is the efficiency agenda. Um, and that brings me to his point in his article about taxes. Um, in your handout, it showed our taxes as a state compared to other jurisdictions, other states. Um, we really are pretty average among states. We are not a high tax state. Um, and from my perspective, to the extent there is a problem with taxes, it's the problem of low incomes. That is, taxes as a percent of family incomes are a little above average because incomes are lower. So if I were thinking about what was really important for our state to work on, I'd think, how can we goose up the income? Because if we had healthier family incomes, we'd have healthier families. We'd have lower needs for services and lower costs of services and a bigger tax base that you can apply a lower tax rate. And it's the sort of keeping up with the Joneses, the Joneses being our neighbor in Minnesota, that kind of argument that a flourishing economy, flourishing family incomes um, is the strategy that works. So to me, thinking rather than redrawing the governmental lines a bit, I would think of how can we make a state that flourishes? Um, and that that would provide the kind of robust financial capacity and support for government at the level we need, and also, as I said, reduce some of the need for the government. I don't think that kind of how do you reinvigorate the economy and goose incomes of families is anything that would come out of a constitutional convention. So it's another issue. You know, how would you do that? Um, I don't want to be unclear. I'm in favor of efficient government. Um, and we should look for ways to create efficiencies. I'm just questioning whether a constitutional amendment or convention process 
is the best way to figure that out. Um, and I guess I would say, sadly, we have to work at it in those more modest ways that are a little more incisive and try to figure it out. And I'm sorry Appleton is in three counties. I agree with these problems. I've, I've lived with them. <laughs> um, but one question which is really a lead question, since you're interested in engaging the public in informed participation in government, what would engage citizens more fully in these kinds of questions? What would motivate them? Um, and I think that we might get a little clue if we looked a little closer at some of the particulars. Um, in general, my experience is it's more, um, it's easier to engage people in certain kinds of issues if they're already interested, right? So you think, well, what's going on in the current budget debate? People are very concerned about the quality and costs of local schools, maintaining a good, strong university system. And there's already a discussion about what are the efficiencies in the education side that is embedded with that. Um, people, including probably Fran and me and others, are kind of excited about what they're talking about with long-term care and health care for people with disabilities in the frail elderly. And there's already a discussion about what's the role of counties, what's the role of bigger regional enterprises, what's the role of statewide private contractors, how do you balance efficiency with getting people what they really choose and want. Um, so we've got people already voting with their feet that they're interested in those issues. And I think that's a good idea to kind of build on those things that people already want to think about and care about. And we can think, how can our government thoughtfully go at all aspects of that, finding a cost-effective way, finding an efficient way, as well as a way that serves people well? Um, the second thing is, I think that there are some of us, and in, no offense, but I'd put me in the same nerd category of people who actually are interested in all this stuff about the structure of city and county government. Um, and we should maybe sit down and think a little bit about why has some of this crashed and burned with conventions and conferences and blue ribbon committees before. Where is the resistance and where is the opportunity to make positive change? You know, because just saying we need to make change and we should get a bunch of people together to talk about it doesn't necessarily produce the magic that transforms. So I would say, if there are some things we think would be better, and I probably could make up and agree with you on some of those things, right? How could we figure out, case by case, what is the better way? Is it ready for prime time with the public? What are the barriers? What are the opportunities? And what's the work to get it there? So I'm just not thinking it's ready, I guess. That's my thought there. Um, but then you come to Ed's point, which I also um, think is sad but true that the legislature has gotten so much into partisanship that they aren't doing this kind of problem-solving work. And in the past, and actually I'm older than you apparently because I remember a time when it kind of worked. Um, you know, I was in the Legislative Fiscal Bureau and we had Republicans in controlling one house and Democrats another and we had conversations and we made compromises and things got done and changed. Um, but um, this, we, the partisanship is a barrier to thoughtful problem solving, and I'm sure we all agree with that. Um, I read the Christian Science Monitor, and here's a, I thought the whole thing could be summed in this one sentence. This is America's hyperpartisan era where money has too much influence, political zealots set the agenda, and the era of the blogosphere and 24-hour news has trivialized and polarized political discourse. There it is, one sentence. Um, and that was about Washington, and, but that kind of thing is going on in Wisconsin and it's going on in other states. Um, 
So we have a difference in our state that people are actually making decisions. It's not like Washington where budgets don't pass and legislation doesn't pass and people don't get confirmed. We, we have some decisions being made, but they're partisan. Um, the dialogue is very partisan. The decisions are very partisan. Um, influenced by big money more and more. I would say over the course of my 35 years, the role of money went from pretty negligible to pretty substantial. Um, and it all exists in this arena of spin, where facts don't matter as much. Um, so I would just say at this point, I better check my own partisanship. Because I can disagree with some of the decisions being made, but that shouldn't be what we're talking about. That has to be separated from what we're talking about. Here we're asking whether the Constitution needs to be revised so government is more efficient and less partisan. And uh, just in terms of that career I, that you heard briefly summarized, I worked for Republicans and Democrats. Um, I sought over the course of my career to respect both pretty much my whole adult life. Um, and I want government to work well. I want policy that represents the common good and not the people, the few, but the many. Um, I want services that are effective and efficient, and you do too. And I want a democracy that's vibrant, where people engage with government rather than retreat in cynicism and apathy. And I think, you know, Bill Moyer said this, that cynicism is a self-defeating uh, or a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, that's what's going on about government. It's very dangerous, I think, that people don't think that they can engage in good ways. So, you know, I think about this, I think, to me, what matters here. I'm kind of gray-haired, some of you are kind of gray-haired. What are our priorities for the energy, the time, the talent, the money we've got? Um, and what can we really get done? What matters? And I would start out agreeing that nonpartisan, fair redistricting, um, as recommended by Ed, should occur and should be put in a constitutional amendment. Doesn't mean I favor a broad convention, but I think that um, the gerrymandering has been damaging. It's caused people to talk differently. Election isn't talking to the political middle, and people aren't called to kind of compromise in ways to honor their constituents as much. Um, I think a really big thing is getting big money out of politics. And that's a US constitutional amendment. But I think that that is a source of a lot of the pollution that's going on. Um, and I don't mean just pollution and groundwater, although that came up and wasn't in the column, but <laughs> I think I'm talking about our public discourse in our life, a decision-making life in government. Um, but I, w I did talk to the guy who was supposed to talk to you, who knows more about this, and he told me, well, yes, that's right, but more transparency and more accountability is compatible with the Supreme Court decisions and could make a decision, sort of sunshine on the money, and we could do a lot more at the state level with that. And he said, that's one of the things he would have told you. So I said, well, good, I'll agree with that. Um, the next is access to voting and encouragement to vote. Um, taking government back for the people, that's our avenue. And you just heard that we've got a lot of work to do about that. And I would say that's work we've got to do. Um, and it isn't just getting people IDs, but it's a lot more. Um, and lastly, just how do we get people to care? Um, and somehow creating avenues of participation um, and interest in this polarizing and negative atmosphere. Um, and I will say democracy is messy and long-term work. Um, and how can we up our game? 
you know, some of us who've been playing the game for a while maybe need to up our game. I would put me in that category. Uh, Parker Palmer's book about healing the heart of democracy, some other civic engagement processes are trying to come at this sideways. Um, and I think that that's worth thinking about, um, how we're called to change, too. So um, how am I on time? Is somebody keeping track? Three or four minutes, great. I'm just going to breeze through his list of longer items. And I don't have a thought about the water stuff, except, of course, environmentally, it would be great to protect those waters. But um, the ones in his column had to do with some categories. I've said I agree with the redistricting, and I think that could be a separate constitutional amendment. Um, several of his points had to do with what I would call intergovernmental duties and powers, structure, geography. You know, how do the pieces of city, county, and state fit together? Um, home rule powers, boundaries. Um, and I do think there's some efficiency opportunities in that area, but as I said, I think you've got to dig down and say, what do we think we can get done here, and how do we get that done? And I'm not convinced we've figured that out quite yet. Um, he also talks about taxing authority, um, requiring the legislature to spend within its means, and altering the property tax uniformity clause. I'm not going to opine on that, but those obviously could be separate amendments, too. Um, and then, this was most intriguing to me, and I do have to say I haven't thought about this enough, um, because until I got this assignment, I didn't know I was going to think about it. Um, it has to do with how we elect people or appoint people, and partisan versus nonpartisan, and all that stuff. Um, so the selection of the Supreme Court on merit, nonpartisan legislative leg um, elections, unicameral legislature, and a review of every constitutional office at the state and county level. Um, you know, my first reaction just reading it was it seemed like an apples and oranges list, and I wasn't sure about putting it into that Constitution Convention salad. But um, I do think some are very big ideas, and I don't know what impact they would have. For example, I've watched the Dane County Board get more partisan, even though it's nonpartisan. Um, I, and I think until the money's out, we haven't solved some of these problems. So I don't really know how much it would solve, but I think these are interesting ideas. Um, some of them have been discussed before. How many times have we talked about getting rid of the Secretary of State? I have to tell you, it'll save almost nothing at the end of the day. <laughs> but why not? You know, I mean, we could get rid of some of these things. But so some are big ideas, some are little ideas. Um, I don't know how ready they are for action. And some may have merit. Um, I just don't want to opine about that. But I would start to say back to us that um, we really need to think about what we are prioritizing ourselves now. Um, what is most important? What has the biggest impact? And what can we do? Um, what are the avenues? It's easy to come up with long lists of improvements. So you have some questions in your packet, and I would encourage, if you're thinking about it, to focus on the last two. If we think our municipal, county, and state governments aren't working well, how can we best engage people in solving those problems? Because I wouldn't presume it's a constitutional convention. But if they're not, what's the problem, and how do we engage people? And the second is, what's most important for us to do now? So I would just say, I can re I'm old enough to remember a little bit of history, and I can remember when things were tough. I can also remember studying when things were tougher, when government was more corrupt and democracy prevailed. Times when slow, careful work produced incremental positive progress, 
times when crisis led to big change and opportunity. So I think in this context, we have to hang in there, look for the opportunities of the present day, and do our smartest and best work now. And while we remember the past, we also remember the future. All of us need to think about how we invest in the future of democracy, young people, how we connect, what we have to offer in the way of mentoring, giving, and what we have to gain in the way of learning new ways of communicating and new ways of thinking about doing business. So all of this doesn't work unless we do it together. That's where the league comes in. That's where others of us come in. Um, and thank you for what you do. And thanks, Ed, for a provocative start to our conversation. You've been listening to Making Wisconsin Government Work in the 21st Century by Helene Nelson, former secretary of the Wisconsin Department of Health and Family Services, and Edward Huck, former executive director of the Wisconsin Alliances of Cities. This talk was sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County and held on April 1, 2015 in Madison. For more information, go to our website at lwvdanecounty.org. The views expressed here are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the League of Women Voters of Dane County. Permission to rebroadcast this podcast is granted if credit is given to the League of Women Voters of Dane County and any editing does not alter the speaker's meaning. This event was recorded and produced by Mind's Eye Audio in Madison, Wisconsin.